Church, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to Mark, chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 21 to 43. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 5, allow me to begin at verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And they went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding, and to the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. When Jesus landed, a large crowd gathered around him. 
In Mark's gospel, a large crowd always gathers around Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he attracts an enormous crowd. On this particular day, there's a certain father in that crowd who fought his way to the front of the line and he would not be denied. His name was Jairus. And Jairus had a daughter who was sick. And instead of getting better, this apple of his eye, his precious little girl, was on her deathbed. And according to all the experts, she was certainly about to die. And this synagogue ruler pleaded with Jesus to come and heal his daughter. As a father of a daughter, I can relate to Jairus. I understand his desperation. After all, that is his little girl, and he loves his little girl. She was once a bundle of energy, constant motion. She would laugh and giggle, run and play. But in these recent weeks, her fever had spiked. Her strength was gone. She could barely lift her head off of a pillow to get a sip of soup. He had taken her to all types of doctors and no one had been able to heal her. Of course, he had prayed for her. He's a synagogue ruler for crying out loud. To say he's a synagogue ruler is to say he's one of the pastors. He's one of the individuals that organizes the worship service and the instruction uh, there in the Capernaum synagogue. This little girl had been at the top of the prayer list for weeks. Because he was a man of influence, there were numerous individuals that had come to the house to offer words of prayer and, and words of comfort and hope. But nothing seemed to help. This man was at the end of his rope. He was desperate. Maybe some of you can relate to Jairus. Maybe you know what it is to be at the end of your rope. Maybe you know what it is to watch your child struggle with sickness or setback. Maybe you know what it is to watch a loved one waste away. You know the agony of standing by that bedside, unable to help. You feel so hopeless. You feel so helpless. You feel paralyzed. It is painful. You really want to help. You really want to do something. And there's nothing that you can do. And you just watch and wait and hope and pray for something to happen and something to change. Maybe you know what it is to be desperate. This desperate man in our story, he turned to Jesus. One of the ironic wrinkles of our passage is that just two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 3, Jesus had ruffled the tail feathers of the religious establishment in the Capernaum synagogue. In Mark chapter 3, we're told the story that some of the Pharisees were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They didn't have a problem with Jesus being a miracle worker, but they did have a problem with him doing that work on the Sabbath. From their perspective, he was breaking the Mosaic law. And on that day, they were watching to see what Jesus would do. He stood in front of the crowd. He identified a man with a shriveled hand. He called him to the front. 
in a very dramatic fashion, Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And the man who had a deformed, shriveled hand was able to stretch it out to the oohs and ahs of all the people in the crowd that day. And in Mark chapter three, verse six, it says that on that day, the Herodians and the Pharisees began to plot on how they might kill Jesus. What's interesting is that the Herodians and the Pharisees never could agree on anything, except on this day, they agreed that Jesus needed to be dealt with. And the only way to properly deal with this rebel-rousing rabbi from Galilee was to execute him. So as early as Mark chapter 3, the execution plot of Jesus is beginning to unfold. I bring that up because I just have a holy hunch. I wonder if Jairus, the synagogue ruler, knew about the sinister plot of the Herodians and the Pharisees. After all, those uh, back hallway conversations were taking place in the the, uh, Capernaum synagogue. And I understand that oftentimes the preacher's the last one to know anything about what's going on at the church. I get that. But I just wonder if Jesus... If, 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 if Jairus knew the ever-growing animosity that the Pharisees and the Herodians had towards Jesus, I think to myself, I, I wonder if it was an occupational hazard for Jairus to go in public, fall at the feet of Jesus, and plead with him to come heal his daughter. Whether this was vocational suicide or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, Jairus was desperate. And so he turned to Jesus. And Jesus is always portrayed as a compassionate savior. And so he agreed to go. And as he's making his way, the crowd begins to grow larger and larger because this has the makings of being a mighty miracle. As it got closer to the house, the crowd grew. They grew in number and they also grew in intensity. Everybody was jockeying for a better position. They wanted to be in earshot of Jesus to hear what he had to say. They didn't want anybody to obstruct their line of vision because they wanted to see what Jesus was about to do. The crowd pressed in hard against Christ. And all of a sudden, Jesus stopped dead in his tracks. Who touched me? He asked. The disciples said, uh, Jesus, this is a bit shocking and startling because everybody's touching you. You're a celebrity. You're a rock star. You're the man. Everybody wants to get close. Everybody is touching you. Furthermore, Jesus, we can't get distracted. We've got to stay on time and on task and on target. Remember the little girl. She's dying. We've got to get there before it's too late. Jesus, don't get distracted. Jesus, don't get off point. Jesus, we've got to keep moving. And the more the disciples tried to urge Jesus, the deeper he sank his heels into the sand. He wasn't going to budge. And then Jesus began to scan the crowd. And all of a sudden, he locked eyes with a woman. And this woman had joyful anxiety etched on her face. She was anxious because it looked as if she had just been found out. And yet she was joyful because at some level she was deeply relieved. When she realized that Jesus wouldn't stop staring at her, 
she came forward and told her story. She said, for 12 long years, I've suffered from an infirmity. 12 long years. Undoubtedly, she prayed. She prayed to God, God, please heal my body. God, please give me some comfort. God, please take away the pain in my abdomen. God, please heal me and help me. For 12 years, she must have prayed. Have you ever prayed for something for 12 years? You ever prayed for something for a mighty long time? The weeks give way to months. The months give way to years. The years give way to a decade or more. This woman had prayed for 12 long years and not only prayed, but she had gone to the doctor. She had gone to numerous doctors. She had spent all of her life savings. She had suffered greatly under the hands of the doctors, which means the doctors didn't know what to do. She was an experiment to them. And so all of their experiments went awry and she suffered greatly because of it. She went through all of her Medicare and all of her Medicaid. She had nothing to help her offset the expensive doctor bills of the first century. She went through all of her life savings. She was desperate. She didn't know where else to turn. She decided to go in the hopes that Jesus would heal her. In Leviticus chapter 15, it says that a woman like this would have been declared unclean. And anything she touched would have been deemed unclean. The fact that this woman is in public is amazing. The fact that she would risk it all to touch and thereby contaminate a holy rabbi like Jesus is dumbfounding. It's amazing that she's out in public, but here's her rationale. She says, I've been invisible all these years. My society and even the church culture here in Capernaum, they've all shoved me aside. They've marginalized me. They pushed me away. They overlooked me. They look right through me. I've been invisible all these years. Hopefully I can go out in ambiguity and I can get up to Jesus close enough to touch the hem of his garment because I think that maybe some of his power is even in his clothing. And if I get close enough to touch his garment, then maybe I will be healed. And then I can shrink back into obscurity once again and still be invisible but be healed that was her plan but the problem is that when she got close enough to graze the hem of his garment some of the holy divine power of Jesus left him and went into her and she was immediately and totally healed and Jesus felt power surging from his body and he stopped who touched me now this woman could be a little bit worried because according to Leviticus a woman like that who touched a rabbi like Jesus could be executed on the spot Jesus could have pronounced that this woman needed to be stoned and everybody in the crowd would have picked up the biggest rocks they could find and they would have hurled them at her so she's waiting how is Jesus going to respond? The first word out of his mouth, daughter. Daughter, you are freed from your suffering. Your faith has healed you. The word healed is the same Greek word as saved. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has healed you. Now from this day forward, be freed from your suffering. And the crowd went crazy. And while Jesus was talking, some friends 
of Jairus, a synagogue ruler, came up to Jairus and said, um, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. As long as she was alive, he may have been able to help. But now she's dead. And you and I both know that dead people don't come back to life. So, so Jairus, we need to go back home and make funeral plans. In fact, uh, some of us have already begun to make the funeral plans. We've already set the ball in motion. Don't bother Jesus anymore. And Mark says that Jesus ignored what they said and said to Jairus, the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Friend, if you ever want to thoroughly disgust Jesus, then all you have to do is tell him that you have a crisis that's outside of his control. Just tell him you got a problem or a predicament. You've got a dilemma or a disease that is beyond his help. You just go and tell Jesus that your marriage is too messed up. You just go and tell Jesus that your cancer has spread too far. You just go and tell Jesus that your finances are too upside down. You go and tell Jesus your prodigal son or prodigal daughter is too far gone. You tell Jesus you got a crisis that's outside of his control. My friend, whenever you do that, that will thoroughly disgust the Savior because nothing is outside outside of his jurisdiction, life or death. Nothing is outside of the parameters of what Jesus can do. And Jesus, ignoring what they said, said to Jairus, the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Off they went. When they got to the house, Mark Mark says that uh, Jesus saw the commotion. Didn't just hear it, but he saw it. The wailing and the crying. And Jesus walked in and he said, why all this crying? Why all this wailing? Why all this commotion? The little girl, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And they began to laugh at Jesus. Uh, Note to self, don't ever laugh at Jesus. Don't laugh at him. Don't mock him. Don't ridicule him. Don't scoff him. Don't demote him. Because he is Jesus. By your words, by your life, by your actions, by your attitudes, don't ever scoff at the Savior. Note to self, don't ever laugh at Jesus. Jesus threw them out. I wish I could have been there, don't you? I would have loved to have seen that. He evicted them, kicked them out of the house, and only Jairus and Mrs. Jairus, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus into the room where the little girl was lying there. And Jesus went up to that corpse of the 12-year-old girl and he said in Aramaic, Talitha Ka'um, which means little girl, get up. It is a command she had to obey. And this little 12-year-old girl that was dead is now alive. She jumps to her feet and she begins to walk around the room. Jairus Speechless, Mrs. Jairus, her jaw has dropped to the floor. Peter, James, and John, they don't know what to say. And Jesus gives a command, feed her, give her something to eat, and don't tell anybody about this. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah, all right, we won't say a word. Jesus said that because he needed to get out of Dodge before all of this got out. This is an amazing story, isn't it? 
Whenever I come to a story like this, whenever I read this story, I walk away and I say, I want to serve like the Savior. I want to minister like Jesus. I want to deal with people the same way Jesus dealt with people in this story of Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. I want to minister in his name the same way that he ministered. So with that thought in mind, there are three takeaways I'm going to give you today. The first is this. We ought to seek the satisfaction of meeting the task within the task. We ought to seek the satisfaction of meeting the task within the task. If you're anything like me, life can get busy and ministry can get overwhelming. So many things to do, so many places to go, so many people to see. Nobody is bored. Nobody is lazy. We're all just busy doing a lot of things. And we look around and there are so many needs in the church, outside the church, in the home, outside the home, in the school, outside the school, in the community, in the country, in the world. So many needs all around us. And if you're not careful, all of that overwhelming need can paralyze us. And Jesus shows us the deep satisfaction of meeting the task within the task. What do I mean by that? Mark is a masterful storyteller. In our passage, he wraps one sto two stories into one. He begins by introducing us to Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Before it's completed, he introduces us to the woman with the issue of blood for some 12 years. Her story is resolved. And then Mark goes back to show us the conclusion of how uh, the story of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, ended. It's a story within a story. When I read this story, I can relate to the disciples. The disciples who said to Jesus, Jesus, why in the world would you ask the question, who's touching me? Everybody's touching you. Jesus, furthermore, we cannot get distracted. We've got to go. We've got to get to that house. We've got to heal that little girl. And then we can move on to something else. Jesus, why are you stopping in the middle of the street? Jesus, we don't even know this woman's name. She's an anonymous woman. Jesus, let's just keep going. Friends, I must confess that far too many times I look like that. There are far too many times that I bypass the anonymous people that God puts in my path. Because there are far too many days when I probably would not have stopped for that anonymous woman. Why? I've got a hospital to get to. I've got a meeting to attend. I've got a message to prepare. I've got a visit to make. I've got something that's already been planned on my calendar. It's already on my schedule. It's already on my agenda. And I've got to go through all the things that I just need to do. There are important things that I've got to get done. There are ministry things that I've got to get done. So I've got to get from point A to point B. I'm probably not by myself. Most of us are task-driven. Most of us go from one job to another job, from one task to another chat task, from one uh, service opportunity to another service opportunity. And sometimes along the way, we don't fail. We, we fail to stop and see the anonymous woman on our right or on our left. Because of this, a uh, minister of many years ago told me, walk slowly among people. Walk slowly among people. When you walk slowly, you can heed the tugging of the tassels. When you walk slowly among the people, you can see people the way God sees people. 
You can see them very intentionally. You can see them very directly. If you, if you just pass from point A to point B, people become a blur. But people aren't a blur, they're a blessing. And sometimes we need to stop for the anonymous people on our right and on our left. People that the church, the society, the culture, community marginalize, shove aside, ostracize. But yet God wants to bless them through us. This story prompts me to slow down. I have to slow down. You have to slow down. You have to see people the way God sees them. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you would not have stopped for the tugging of the tassels. Maybe you would not have stopped and given time to this anonymous woman. But Jesus does. And he is our example and our model in all things life, faith, and practice. So Jesus, help us to seek the satisfaction of meeting the task within the task. Help us to slow down and see people God, the way you see them. That's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is this. The goal of serving is saving. The goal of serving, the goal of Christian ministry is serving. Introducing people uh, to the gospel. The goal of serving is saving. Many of you realize that 10 days ago, 43 missionaries from this church went on a five-day mission trip to New York City. If you were to ask me, why do you think God called you, pastor, to go to New York City? My answer is one word. And the one word is Hector. I went to New York City for Hector. One of the things that we did in New York is we did street evangelism. Late at night, we would go out and give blankets to the homeless We would feed them hot dogs or a hot pocket. We'd give them hats to wear, socks for their feet. In that process, we would try to minister to them, hear their story, share the gospel with them, pray with them, point them unto Jesus. Think with me that it is Friday night. It is the first night that we do street evangelism in New York City. The team that I'm with, we go to a shelter called The Living Room. Living room is a very temporary shelter, so temporary that people are not given beds to sleep on. They're given a chair to sleep in. They've got to be in there by 10 p.m. They've got to be out by 6 a.m. It's extremely temporary. I was in the van. We pulled up. As soon as we got out, I noticed that down the street, there was a young man, and he was agitated. He was verbal. He was vocal. He sounded to be angry and sad and mad and frustrated, all wrapped up into one. And I must confess to you that I thought to myself, I hope that mess doesn't come up to where we are. You need to know I've already asked God to forgive me for that. Because guess what God did? God brought that mess up to where we were. I thought to myself, we don't need any trouble tonight. This is our first night on the streets. And for some of us, most of us, the first night we've ever been in urban ministry, big city ministry. So we don't need any trouble. So God, please just keep him down there. And God said, nope, I'm going to bring him right to where you are. He was intercepted by a volunteer of NISOM. NISOM is the organization that we partnered with. That stands for New York School of Urban Ministry. He Ask him his name. His name was Hector. He said, Hector, let us get you a blanket. Let's get a hot dog. 
And somehow I found myself there at the hot dog stand and the, and the volunteer uh, put Hector's hot dog in, in my hand and said, uh, uh, Davin will take your food wherever you want to eat it. And I thought to myself, okay, Davin's going to take Hector's food wherever Hector wants to eat it. Hector, uh, where would you like to eat this? Uh, let's go around the corner. Brothers and sisters, everything inside of me said, do not go around the corner. But I did. It was well lit. Saw the people around. So I went around. Hector, tell me your story. From the best I could tell, Hector was 21 years of age, never known his dad. His mom had recently passed. Life was hard. Life was tough. Now he's on the streets. He can't make it. He doesn't know why this is happening. He is so frustrated. He is so angry. And he keeps telling his story over and over and over again. And the more he tells his story, the more agitated he he gets, the more bombastic he becomes. And he's just very frustrated, very angry. And all of a sudden, the volunteer that was with us said, Hector, let us just pray for you. He put his hand on Hector's shoulder. As soon as he did, Hector hit the concrete. And Hector began to smack the concrete and roll around on the sidewalk. The longer we prayed, the more uh, frustrated Hector became. Somehow, the volunteer faded into oblivion. But then, the director of NISOM... Pastor Peter, he came over realizing that probably Hector is strung out on drugs, but there's something more going on here. There's some spiritual warfare that's happening inside of Hector. And so he comes over and just begins to pray over him the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. And Pastor Peter looks at me as if to say, boy, are you going to start praying or not? And I said, yeah, I'll start praying. So I dropped down on all fours and I just started praying. I got in Hector's ear and I just ran him through the Romans road as fast as I could. I was talking about the wage of sin is death, but the free Give for God's eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hector, just call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Hector, just call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Satan is strong, but Jesus is the stronger man. Hector, just call on the name of Jesus for everyone who calls on the name of Christ will be saved. We just kept going on and on, praying, getting louder and louder. The more we prayed, the more he prayed. Or not prayed, the more he cried out. Got to the point that he was convulsing. He was moving around in very jerky fashion. He was rolling around all over, up and down the sidewalk. And as he rolled, I went, you know, as he went down, I went this way. And I was just praying over him, just laying my hands upon him, just praying for him to call on the name of Jesus. This went on for about 10 minutes. After it was over, Jane Ellen asked me, when he was rolling around, did you see the knife fall out of his pocket? I said, there was a knife? What are you talking about? I didn't see a knife. But all the while, I felt very protected very confident, comfortable in Christ. I was hoping that Hector would call on the name of Jesus. At one moment, he would say, God, help me. In the next breath, I want you to visualize and hear the most demonic, horrific voice They would cry out, this is not me. It was so demonic, so much warfare that was going on, not just in Hector, but in that whole area. After about 10 minutes, the sheltered living room, they called the New York Police Department. They came out and they too laid hands on Hector, just in a different way. They handcuffed him, pressed him down against the concrete. The ambulance came, they strapped him on a gurney, off he went. And I thought to myself, I wanted so badly. For Hector to call on the name of Christ. 
for him to stand up and have a sparkle in his eye and a smile across his face. I want it so badly for this present day legion to come to his senses and to be seated at the feet of Christ. I wanted this so badly for Hector. If I could have done it myself, I would have done it. I wanted it so badly. And I thought to myself, I will never see Hector again. Saturday night, I was told I had to go to another uh, shelter. We had another group that went to the living room. After the night was coming to a conclusion, the team gathered around for prayer. There was an Asian woman who said, I know that God is using y'all. She didn't say y'all. She said, you, you. I know God is using you. How do you know God is using us? You see that guy standing right over there? Last night, he was taken away in an ambulance. Uh, what's his name? His name's Hector. And some of our guys, Kevin Morris and Brett Fuller, they kind of went over and they said, hey, tell us your story. And so Hector began to talk and he said, yeah, last night, I can't explain what happened. I don't know what was going on, but there was some great pain inside of me. There was a war that was going on. Some guys came over and prayed over me. And then the next thing I know, I woke up in a hospital. I was discharged this morning. I came back here. I don't know. I feel better today than I did last night. And Kevin said, "Uh, uh, can I get my picture with you? He said, yeah. So Kevin snapped a picture with Hector. He's on his way back to Nysum, Kevin is. This is late Saturday night, late Saturday night. He texts me and says, Davin, what are you doing? And I went, dude, I'm asleep. I'm in bed. It's late. I'm on the top bunk, right? I'm asleep. He goes, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta tell you something. I got to show you something. I'll be right there. So he comes up into my room and he takes his phone. And he says, hey, who is that? And I said, that's a smiling Hector. That's Hector with a smile across his face and a sparkle in his eye. Now, friend, I don't know if he became a believer or not. But what I do know is that the goal of serving is saving. That's our goal. Why do we do what we do? In the hopes that people will respond in salvation unto Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that I see Hector again one day. I hope and pray that I see Hector in heaven. And I don't care if he ever remembers the guys that came and prayed over him. I hope he never forgets the name that was prayed over him. It's the name Jesus Christ. It's the name that saves. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. His goal of serving is saving Saving people like you and people like me. If all we do is give out a cup of cold water or a blanket, if that's all that we do, we're nothing more than a social agency. But Jesus is not an entitlement program. And Jesus is not a social service. Jesus came to save. He said to the anonymous woman, your faith has saved you. Jesus came to save us because the goal of serving is saving. Let me quickly give you the third takeaway. That when it comes to this story and doing ministry like Jesus did in Mark chapter five, ministry is bringing dying people to a living Lord. That's what ministry is. Ministry is bringing dying people to a living Lord. Jesus came to rob death of its finality and to give life more abundantly. 
Jesus came to earth to rob death of its finality and to give life more abundantly. That's what Jesus did for Jairus' daughter. That's what Jesus did for this anonymous woman uh, with the issue of blood. That's what Jesus did on that faithful Friday when he was stumbling and staggering outside the streets of Jerusalem. He went up a hill called Calvary and there the Roman soldiers stretched him wide and raised him high. And Jesus for hours writhed in pain and he paid a sin debt he did not owe because you and I have a sin debt that we cannot pay. Jesus is the living Lord and he gives life to dying people like you and like me. And on that day, on that faithful Friday, Jesus declared, it is finished. What's finished? The payment for your sin is finished so that you may have life more abundant and free. It is finished. Jesus bowed his head, gave up his ghost. They took down his cold body. They placed it into a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. Why? To rob death of its finality and to give life more abundantly. That is who we serve. That is why we serve. That's the gospel that we have. That's the gospel that changes lives. It takes people that are dead and makes them alive again. So I serve Christ and you serve Christ. And we have a desire to serve well, like Christ. Because I serve a risen Savior. And he's in the world today. And I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy and I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks to me a long life's narrow way. He lives, he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives because he lives within my heart. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because, just because, just because he lives Heavenly Father we bow before you and there may be somebody here who feels like an anonymous individual there may be somebody here who feels like Jairus Jairus's daughter There may be somebody here who feels like Hector. Could be somebody here who feels like me. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will seek and save us. That you minister to us and then in turn help us to minister in your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.